0: The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from Piggie Podcast joins in to discuss the music of Pokémon Stadium 2 for the N64. While not as well known as its predecessor, there's still a lot of material to cover, both on the battling side as well as in the minigames. Honestly, it's pretty impressive for a game with only a single composer. If you want to know what we thought of the game itself, be sure to listen after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Stephen here. I'm on the phone with Anne from Big B Podcast. And this is the next in our series of Pokemon side game music discussions. So, this time we're doing a discussion of Pokemon Stadium 2 for the N64. Just to clarify a little bit, you may remember from our Pokemon Stadium discussion earlier this year that uh, there's a bit of a numbering irregularity between the Japanese side and everything else uh, in Japan, they had an extra Pokémon Stadium that had, like, 40 or 50 Pokémon in it. Uh, and then they had Pokémon—their Pokémon Stadium 2 is what we call Pokémon Stadium. It's got the 151 in there. And then we've got Pokémon Stadium 2 as we know it, which they call Pokémon Stadium Gold and Silver. Yes, this is the Gen 2 Pokémon Stadium game, very late N64 game. But we're going to be talking about the music, our experiences, and we've picked out some songs just like we usually do. So, first off, this game was released back in 2001, and it's it's kind of a bit of an odd spot because that's not long. It's very late into the N64 life cycle, and as such, the Game Boy Advance is coming out very shortly after this, and so is the GameCube later that year. So, it, it is kind of a, a semi-forgotten game. People know it exists, but they don't remember a ton about it sometimes, but... Um, Anne, uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about your experience with this game prior to this discussion. How about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, this is a game that I've never owned. Um, I think I've always been aware it existed because, like, looking at the cartridge evokes a lot of memories. Like, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that game. Um, I've played it a lot at fan conventions. It seems to be one that I always remember seeing in the game room just kind of set up at a N64 somewhere. So I've played all the mini games. I've played through the battle scenarios, but I've never owned it ever.
0: Prior to about a month ago, when I picked up a used copy, which was not cheap, that was kind of my experience as well. I don't know if I had done much with the mini games. I think I'm more familiar with the original stadium. So I just kind of gravitated to that, but I definitely had seen Pokemon Stadium 2 at conventions and at, pokemon events where they have a retro system section which is pretty common and, and stuff like that so that was my experience at that point i'd seen videos i think a lot of the footage i'd seen is from the uh what's it called a false swipe gaming youtube channel where they do how good was blank pokemon actually and whenever they cover a pokemon that was around in generation two they usually have some footage from stadium two there so so that was kind of my experience prior to all this but i did pick up a copy like i said it is not a cheap game uh, Pokemon games tend to keep resale value pretty well, uh, but this one especially, I guess since gold and silver is a very cherished generation, and a lot of folks probably missed this game the first time. It sold decently well, I think. But I did play it some, and you may have seen that live stream I did a little while ago, and that experience is also going to factor in for me, I guess. But uh, let's start with the basics. When was this game released, and where and how? It was released in Japan in December of 2000. It came out in America in March of 2001 and finally made its way to Europe in October of 2001, so really late there. Um, I think the GameCube, for reference, didn't come out in Europe until early 2002, so they were still technically in the N64 generation, but as far as it was developed, uh, it very clearly is based on the engine for the original Pokemon Stadium, or at least the one that we got here in 2000 for the first generation. And uh, this time, I don't think HAL, it looks like, had a ton of involvement with the development of this version of it. It was mostly Nintendo EAD that uh, handled that side of it. And did you have any comments on sort of uh, the development history of this game? I guess it's a little less special since it is so based on its predecessor.
1: I mean, it's kind of, as you say, kind of, Interesting for the fact that it is so much based on the one that came before it, and yet, like, so late it... Well, I mean, I don't know about late in the game, but, like... Like, I mean, we may talk more about this later, it being, like, so kind of late in the era of N64 games. It's an interesting game for where it is placed in the, the timeline of video games and Nintendo games in particular... It, it's interesting for what it is and what it is not to me. But at the same time, that is also the same thing that makes it not interesting. It's So it's it's peculiar, maybe more than interesting. I think we'll probably talk more about it later. So I don't know why I, I want to deliberate that point right now.
0: <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay, Anne. I mean, just to give some perspective on what other companies were doing, the, the PS2 had been out for almost a year by the time this came to the States, and the Dreamcast had practically been... Uh, shelved as Sega was going in the process of going third party by the time this came to the States. So just to give you kind of an idea of how late in the N64 generation this was. But uh, as far as folks who were involved in the sound areas of this game, it may not surprise you that all three of the people I could find were involved with the prior Pokemon Stadium game, at least the one we got here in the States. So the sound director was Masafumi Kawamura, uh, best known for Donkey Kong Jungle Beat as, uh, and some other games that are out there. The composer was uh, Hajime Wakai, best known for Star Fox 64, Pikmin, Breath of the Wild, and a, a few other games here and there, especially in the Zelda series. And the sound programmer is Mitsuhiro Hikino, who is best known for work on the Pikmin franchise. And he also worked, I always like to mention games that are relevant around the time we recorded this. He worked on Mario Sunshine as a sound programmer there. Of course, that's coming out uh in a re release later this month on the Mario All Stars 3D collection. So I just wanted to put that in there. And uh we we've gone over these people during our first stadium episode. Do you have anything to add to all of that or?
1: Um I mean I don't think I have anything to add that I don't think we didn't talk about before I can't remember if I was as obsessed with Breath of the Wild when we talked about Pokemon Stadium 1 as I am now so maybe maybe I have that to add like Breath of the Wild music is a freaking masterpiece and I love it so I'm very happy he was involved in that so maybe 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 I have that to add I don't know
0: All right. Well, let's talk about the general sound design of Pokemon Stadium 2 then. There's actually a couple of of interesting things. Now, as you probably expect, there's a lot of stuff that's derived from the soundtrack of Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, I guess technically speaking, I think Crystal was probably out in Japan by the time it came out there, but it wouldn't come out until the summer of 2001 here, just for reference. But uh, obviously it's going to pull a lot from that, at least as far as the battle themes go. I think they had a little more to work with than they did with the original Stadium. One thing I kind of observed about the soundtrack here is that it seemed to me to be a little more serious than the original Pokémon Stadium soundtrack. Uh, What I mean by that is I think the... The music there is more designed to sound like it was recorded in a studio rather than being played live at the event we had talked in Pokemon Stadium about how a lot of the music sounded like it could have been played by a marching band at the event or a pipe organ at the event. And some of those instruments are still there, but the actual music to me sounds a little more like it was produced in a studio. And just before I hand it over to Anne to respond to that, I I feel like there is less reverb in the music in this game than there was in the original Stadia. Maybe that's just the way I listen to it online. But it uh, is more what we call dry... And as a result, sounds more like it was pre-recorded music rather than being performed live. Anne, did any of the info I just spat out, does any of that uh, resonate with you? Do you have a different opinion? Uh, how do you feel?
1: No, I would agree with that. Yeah, because I, I remember, too, like the adjectives we were using was, yeah, like there was a lot of kind of that synthy pipe organ. It It sounds like you're at a at a stadium and they're, they're playing the seventh inning stretch and they're about to throw the first pitch or whatever kind of a feel to it. And, you know, you, you feel like you're in the back row of the stadium and you're getting the, the reverb and the echoes. And this feels like you're not getting it. And the the thing I noticed about this soundtrack too, was uh, most of the tracks, at least in the battle area, there's a lot of clarion bells, Um, That were not present in uh, Stadium One. Like that was a a musical, not motif, but uh, an instrument theme that carried through most of the tracks. So I definitely think he was making a lot of very deliberate choices to differentiate it from Stadium One, um, both in his choice of music mixing um, to make the sound more dry, more studio produced, but also in the choices of instruments he used to create a very different feel for the space you're sitting in listening to the music.
0: But just to sort of expand on on those things you said, Anne, uh, the sort of live nature, the sort of, not sloppy, but more uh, loose feeling of the music of the, of the previous stadium game, I think was actually criticized in some reviews. So maybe it was an intentional choice in that regard as well. From a technical perspective, I do want to mention that this game, you see it right on the title screen, it says it uses Dolby Surround, Ooh. which is Pretty similar to uh, to ProLogic, uh, conceptually. They're both a stereo system that tries to sort of direct sound in certain ways. Uh, they're loosely compatible with each other, and they're kind of the same thing, but not quite. It's a little hard to describe there. Uh, but basically what that means is the sound engine maps the channels in a certain way to sort of conform to the specifications that Dolby has. And uh, since I have a surround sound system here in my apartment... Uh, when I was playing the game, I could definitely tell the sounds were more focused directionally huh. uh, across the sort of thing there. So I definitely noticed that. I'm not sure exactly what that process involved and if, like, they sent some stuff over or got some materials from them on how to do that. But but yeah, so that, that's something worth noting. And I guess another little factoid here. The original Stadium game does have an official soundtrack that was released in Germany, and if you dig through, you can probably find a copy for not super cheap and not super expensive if you're lucky. Um, as far as I know, this game does not have an official soundtrack, at least that I've seen, which is unfortunate. Hopefully someday we might get one, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I guess perhaps another way that this game uh, might be considered forgotten, which is kind of uh, a shame. But yeah, that's kind of a kind of an overview of the musical aspects. Otherwise, it's it's very similar. It's got the Factor 5 voiceover samples. It's got um the actual instrument samples used in the game are very common to a lot of Nintendo's first-party games, particularly like Star Fox 64 and the the N64 Zelda games use very similar samples in their music. So, that's very much what you would expect. Uh, and did you have any other general observations about the soundtrack?
1: Um not much general, no.
0: All right. Well, with that being said, we've done what we usually do here, and we've each picked out three songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three I've picked out are Professor Oak's Lab, The Minigames Menu, and Streaming Stampede. Uh, you may kind of notice with our choices here that there is a heavy focus on minigames. We may speculate as to why that is later, but Anne, what were the three songs you chose?
1: Um, I chose the Elite Four battle music egg emergency mini game and deli bird delivery.
0: So like I said, heavy focus on the mini games this time around. Um All right, let's start off on my side. Uh I picked as my first song Professor Oaks Lab. Now this is based in fact on the Professor Oaks Lab theme from the main series games. Uh, I forget if that's really present in the gold and silver games, but it's definitely present in the, you know, red, blue, green, yellow uh, Gen 1 games. So it's definitely there, but it's a rather different arrangement. It's actually got a very sort of uh, metallic industrial vibe in it, which kind of makes sense once you get in there. There's a lot of, like, uh, machinery equipment. This is, I believe, where you get stuff on and off of your cartridge if you're using the transfer pack, which, like the previous games, this supports... And thus, uh, maybe that was where the sort of inspiration came from. I, I kind of would like to hear a little bit of a better uh, instrument sample version of this just because the uh, it does have a little bit of a harsh sound more than maybe even more than you expect from the instrumentation there. But uh, those were kind of my thoughts. And did you have uh, any other ideas about this song?
1: <laughs> I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, I would be okay with that harsh sound of the instrumentation if it matched the rest of the soundtrack. Like, it's kind of a cool remix of that familiar theme if the rest of the soundtrack was kind of going for a sort of grunge, lo-fi, industrial, garage bandy-type feel. But since it's not, (laughs) it feels like a mistake. And then, yes, I want a slightly more polished slightly different quality to those sounds but overall like the general idea is a cool one like it is a very cool remix it's an interesting idea so i feel like this is an 85 percent it's still an a or at least or at least a b (laughs) plus it it passes but it it needs a little bit of polishing but it's you know good job (laughs)
0: Yeah, I also kind of observe that that's very different from the character of Professor Oak who is not the most hard-nosed scientist. He's very professional uh but he's definitely I would not put him in a in industrial science category or whatever you want to say there.
1: Yeah, I'd say Elm took over, but it's not really like him either so. <laughs>
0: yeah, so that that's pretty interesting there and that's one of the reasons I I picked that out. And let's go over to the first of your picks. This is Elite Four Battle. Now, it's obviously based on the theme from the gold and silver games. But to be honest, I'm not entirely sure why you picked this out. It's not bad or anything, but it is more or less what I would expect. And do you want to go into some more details?
1: Yeah, uh, the reason I picked this was... Well, first of all, because I picked too many games, I thought I needed to pick something that was actually a battle song. Um, I picked it because I thought it was a bit representative of the battle music as and kind of the soundtrack as a whole. It kind of had the feel of the battles and the music, the kind of aspects of the music that I liked in that it's got like the motivation and the intensity behind it, but it doesn't feel cluttered. It doesn't feel so intense that I become anxious and I'm not having fun in this Pokemon battle anymore. And again, it has that cool bell theme in the background that I like, but it doesn't get... Like, there's not so many bell clangs that it starts getting annoying. So there's, like, just a lot of very interesting things happening musically that I really appreciate. And I just thought that that was the track that kind of best brought in all the interesting things that were happening in this soundtrack that I liked and kind of represented them all in a very unique and cool way. That if I were going to pick a track that I was going to talk about and be like, this is the soundtrack, everybody... That this was probably the best one.
0: Okay, I, I mean, I'll give you the. It sounds a little more open than what the uh, the Game Boy was able to produce there, where the, you know, there's about half a dozen, um, very electronic sounds in in that instrument set, and maybe this felt more. Is is open the right word? Is that what you uh, were thinking of?
1: I think that's what I'm trying to describe. Like, it it's full it doesn't feel empty but i don't feel like the music is pushing me faster than i can run if that makes sense i don't feel that it's that it's so intense that it's ruining my enjoyment of this game that it's distracting me and like making me so jittery and intense that i can't focus on trying to pick my moves for the pokemon or whatever you know it's adding to my enjoyment not taking away from it and i i don't know i i feel sometimes in video games the music like hypes you up in a way that it hypes you up just a little too much over the top and this you know at the elite four you're at the top of the game you want the music to hit the perfect the perfect line of that where you're at the boss battle but you're not over the edge and like i said this the whole soundtrack feels like it's full and it's engaging but it's never too much. It's not like just computer sounds and just more more more. It's this is this is sampled sounds but it's a symphony. I may not be explaining that super well, but to me I feel like this is something that breathes like music should.
0: I can kind of see that. I guess arrangement-wise I wish it had taken just a few more risks. I don't want it to deviate too much <laughs> from the source material because um, but maybe more in a way like they did with the uh, the Gym Leader Castle in the, the previous Pokemon Stadium. Uh, there's no specific Elite Four theme in Generation 1. They just reused the Gym Leader battle theme. But I kind of wish they had maybe played with the instruments just a bit more uh, there. It's not a bad arrangement by any means, <laughs> but it's, it's maybe not as interesting as I had hoped.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, let's go to my second pick which is the mini-games menu. So this time around, let's see, I think there are 12 mini-games as opposed to the nine from the uh, uh, previous Pokémon Stadium. We'll talk more about the games themselves uh, as we talk about the music, but also in our post-discussion, most likely. But as far as the menu itself, it has a, I'm not sure if I'm using this genre term exactly right, but a ragtime feel to it. Um not sure if I'm totally using that, but it's definitely in sort of the the jazz uh wheelhouse, as is a lot of the stuff with the mini games, to be honest. Um and it has kind of a a street band like you might hear in like New Orleans or something like that, in the French Quarter or whatever. And also uh, the other word I came up with it with for it was inviting. Like they're trying to get you to come into this establishment that has all these mini-games or whatever in it. And uh, deville, those are good words. Do you have some of your own?
1: Inviting is, I think, a very good word. Like when I first heard this track, it, I don't know that it's something that I really terribly liked. But then I remembered uh, something you said way back during Pokemon Pinball. I think about the opening opening credits track, where that it wasn't designed to be something that people listened to on loop for forever and ever, which has gotten me to think differently about certain tracks and what they were designed to do and thinking about the mini games track in that light this is a very inviting track that you're probably not meant to listen to for as long as i did and yeah like it is fun and catchy for you know the maybe 30 seconds at most that you're scrolling through the games and then f- picking something and moving on i think that's a good way to describe it yeah
0: yeah, you, know, you compare it to the one from Stadium One, which I'm, I'm fairly certain that is a more carnival atmosphere, which is not completely dissimilar, but it is distinct from this one.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And and that was sort of part of the reason I picked it is that they are serving a similar purpose, but this is different, and they both work, um, but they have a, a different sort of thing that's going on there. As far as I can tell. Happy Together's use in the first Detective Pikachu trailer wasn't because of any super-specific lyrical parallel with the plot of the film. Sure, Tim whips out his phone a few times, and occasionally acts a little crazy, but really it seems that the song was meant to highlight the buddy cop aspect of the movie. And perhaps to suggest that Tim and Detective Pikachu might have wound up with each other for a reason. Musically, the song's melancholic verses and incredibly bright chorus parallel the film's darker, but not too dark tone, and to a certain extent the personalities of the main characters, with Tim being more low-key and Detective Pikachu more energetic. With all that said, however, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this isn't the first time the song has come into Pokemon's orbit. Fans of the original N64 Smash Brothers will remember that ads for that game also use this tune, adding another level of nostalgia to the mix. Anyway, do you have your own thoughts on any of this? Feel free to let us know. Thanks. Alright, well, let's see. The next one you picked out is an actual minigame theme. We actually have three of those between the two of us. You have Egg Emergency. So why don't you just briefly describe the minigame and then we can talk about the actual musical portion of it.
1: Yeah, this game, um, you're basically a a chancy and you're kind of trying to catch a bunch of eggs that are falling from the sky and not catch the Voltorbs, which will use self-destruct. And the music in the background is kind of this accordion sort of music. It And I picked it because it reminds me a lot of movie five. It, kind of like you're sitting on like an Italian or French cafe or on the street or something. It, it gave me those vibes and it, the very fond recollections of um. Altamar City, so that's basically why I picked it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, when you said cafe there, that was what about what I put down. I, I gave it more of a, a French credit uh, to that, and I was wondering actually if you had been playing recently a uh, Pokemon Cafe mix that came out a month or two ago. <laughs> Since uh, that has um, that particular vibe to it, this is very similar to this. Maybe uh, uh, Tsukasa Tawada, who we will talk about in some future side games, <laughs> um, really like this. There's also a theme like this in, in Pokemon Shuffle uh, for one of the overworld area themes as well. But that was where I thought you might be going with that. But I guess movie five is not a bad uh, example either.
1: Another direct two forks in a road.
0: <laughs> um, as far as the game itself, it, it gives me a, a feeling very similar to uh, the Game & Watch game. Game & Watch was a series of games that Nintendo made back in like the early 80s, before they made the, the Game Boy. Uh, there were these little uh, liquid crystal display panels that had uh, stuff. That's where Mr. Game & Watch comes from. And one of the games is called Ball. And the way Chancy moves back and forth kind of reminds me of that Uh, a little bit, especially since it's not super heavily animated and stuff like that. The frames of animation are not not huge there, but those are kind of my thoughts on it. I did like it, and I suppose once we get to other stuff that has a similar genre feel to it uh, in future discussions, maybe we'll bring that up again. Okay, well, uh, let's see. The third song I brought up is another minigame, of course. It is, let's see, Streaming Stampede. Now, this is basically in the format of sort of a quiz show where the object of the game is it's going to tell you to look for certain Pokemon that are going to be part of something that streams past. They mix it up. They use stuff like, like Diglett and Doug Trio or Magnemite and Magneton or Pichu Pikachu and like Psyduck to sort of mix things together. And uh, some similar looking Pokemon like that to sort of mess you up. But your goal is to count whatever they're telling you to count. And uh, if you get it exactly on, you get a certain number of points. If you're off uh, slightly, you get less points or fewer points, I should say. Um, and the goal is to have the highest score after about, I think it's about four or five rounds that get progressively more complex.
1: Have you ever gotten the last one?
0: Uh, I think I actually did when I tried it out. Uh, I did a live stream. I don't remember if this one was particularly on there, but I think I did pretty well. Uh, as far as the music there, there's a little bit of an intro, which I think is specific to this game, but I don't see on any like the soundtracks. But then the actual main theme has kind of this, like I said, it was laid back and jazzy feel to it. Now, back before I realized this was strictly a Nintendo EAD game and not a HAL game, I, I wanted to compare this to the Hideaway Casino in the Super Nintendo game Vegas Stakes, uh, cause it does kind of remind me there, and I can, t- it's just saying that I can hear the slot machine reels from sounds from that game sort of playing, uh, in my head. But it gives me that kind of vibe, sort of a laid back jazzy, as I, as I put it there. And one of the reasons I, I mentioned that is, like I said, the actual set design for this minigame is a game show, and usually you think a game show is as being, it depends on the nature of it, more intense and stuff like that, or maybe super silly, depending on the nature of the game show and the mechanics involved. You know, maybe game shows in Japan are different. I don't know. Anne, any thoughts in that area of about anything I said there?
1: Well, you know, having never played the game that you're referencing, I can't compare, but kind of now that you say game show it does feel kind of like it wouldn't be out of place on like um kind of a variety bangami kind of program segment so you know there could be a place for it there so i don't know it's hard to say. Like, I kind of like it. The music seems to fit, although once I actually start playing the game, I have never once actually noticed the music Like while I'm playing. I can only ever listen to it in isolation with the soundtrack and a blank screen. So <laughs> once I try to count the Pokemon, everything else blocked out.
0: <laughs> I-, I can see that happening as well. And maybe that's, that's one reason why maybe it still works or something like that. I, I was just kind of curious there, since you have more Japanese knowledge than I do. Whether there was a like a specific game show genre or way game shows in Japan are different than here in the states because the set is very clearly designed to look like a a game show of some sort.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't think it would be out of place. I don't know if I'm uh, culture savvy enough to comment on whether it's definitely fits like a button, but I, I it definitely feels like it would fit but
0: <laughs> all right well you picked one more mini game as your third song and that's deli bird delivery they really always like to go on the delivery thing with with deli bird when we get to uh pokemon channel and some other stuff it'll definitely be talked about that way as well or used that way as well i should say but uh what about this song first of all what's the mini game about
1: yeah deli bird delivery you're it kind of feels like you're working for UPS and taking stuff off the conveyor belt and <laughs> transferring it to the other conveyor belt or trying to load the truck or something, um, and and yeah, like you're trying to take it to the other line and get the points before the other deli bird get their fill their sacks and and get it to their locations. The music kind of kind of has not full jazz, but kind of just a. a Kind of a laid back vibe to it, but it's also got like easy listening Christmas feel or like a, a winter holiday sort of feel to it, again with the clarion bells, which again fit the winter vibe, but the field and the color scheme um, looks a bit like a gridiron football field, so there's a lot of very confusing um, stimulus going on in this game. But there's a lot of confusing stuff going on with Delibird in general. So I kind of am here for it. Um, but I really do like this track. It just kind of feels a soft, wintry vibes, which is, you know, my favorite holiday. And it's a little bit odd, which, again, Delibird evokes in me. And I don't know if I can say 100% that I like it, but I am I definitely remember it, and I keep coming back whenever I was at the convention and sat down to play it, like, this is the first one I went to because I definitely had strong memories of it, and in that way, I think it's a success.
0: Well, yeah, I definitely agree with the sort of holiday theming. I think uh, that's something that Delibird often gets pegged with uh, for Uh, whatever reason. I mean, obviously, some of it makes sense. But um, as far as the game mechanically goes, you're going back and forth very uh, hectically, trying to fill up your sack with presents, which interestingly, at least in the U.S. version, are things like Game Boys and Pikachu N64s and a diamond ring, which, I mean, they've got that Eevee ring now, but... Um,
1: I think there was a piano at one there point. There was a piano
0: and and some of them are worth more than others. So it's got a little bit of the, the scoring complexities from like Sushi Go Round from the from the previous game. So there's a little bit of that in there. And then to sort of uh and then when you're going back and forth thing you have to watch out for are these swine that are running across. It's almost got a little bit of a Frogger influence on it just a little bit there at least the the first half of the uh, the journey there where you're trying to avoid the cars. In Frogger, it, it's got a little bit of that in there, but uh, yeah, yeah, so definitely interesting and and not an unexpected use of Delibird Bird from what we've seen uh, going on there. All right, well, there's uh, th- that kind of does it for the songs we're going to talk about. Obviously, there's a lot more in there, but we need to talk. The announcer is back. <laughs> in this one it is still ted lewis uh best known for voicing tracy Sketchett, uh giovanni for most of the run of the the english anime and and things like that and they really crammed a lot of lines there's some new lines there's some that sound a little bit different like a psychic blast is just a little bit different in this one maybe it was just an alternate take they had left over there are also some mistakes in the uh in the readings there but there's a ton of new stuff, obviously, for the new Pokemon, for the new moves and all that stuff. Um, I think he has more varied commentary. Um, and what did you kind of think of the voiceover in, in this stadium game as compared to the previous one?
1: I mean, I'm here for it. Like, I would have felt so sad if they hadn't kept him. I, I can't say that it was any better or worse, really. I didn't notice any, like, marks. Stepping up of the game, or 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 de improvement. Like I was just very happy to have the announcer guy back.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I don't think it's as memorable as some of the stuff, but maybe that's probably for two reasons. One, this game is not as well remembered. But two, I think actually having more diversity, well, probably good from an experience perspective. Also means the quotes are being less drilled into your head. As the uh, time goes on, uh, you know, one of the reasons the uh, all the quotes from Star Fox 64 are so memorable is that people play the game over and over and you hear the same quotes most of the time, uh, depending on what planets you visited in that one. So having more variety maybe makes it a little less memorable, even though it is technically better. But I did kind of want to mention that. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention is about Pokemon voices. I think really there's like... I mean they have the sort of N sixty four ifications of all the chirps you hear from the main series games, but as far as like actual Pokemon voices, there's some Pikachu in there, I think, if you transfer your Pikachu from yellow into the game. Uh but I don't think the mini games have much in the way of Pokemon voices or anything like that. And was that your observation as well?
1: Yeah, I um tried to listen um i could have missed something cuz there were definitely moments where i was not paying as much attention as i could have been but yeah like i don't recall hearing i don't recall hearing chancy don't recall hearing anything in the streaming stampede or, or the ferrets and like for all we know ecoe was pre-recorded anyway so yeah there really wasn't much <laughs> And what a shame.
0: And it's possible that in the English dub that not all of those Pokemon had gotten to appear yet. Uh, because this mm, was so early. We're only about
1: was a factor, five yeah. or six
0: months maybe into the uh, third season of the anime in the U.S. when this came out in March. So we still had a little ways to, to go there. So maybe they hadn't didn't have that all in time for this game to come out, which would have required them to be done you know, a month or two earlier. Or they just decided they needed to put more, um, more in for the announcer to say, because that all takes up space and cartridges are not huge. This is one of the reasons uh, Nintendo would eventually switch to discs for the GameCube and the Wii and the Wii U. But I do kind of want to mention that maybe the Japanese version is different. If anyone does know, please uh, give us a, a holler on that one. All right, well, I think that covers... The, there's obviously sound effects for the attacks and stuff like that. A lot of those are pulled from the previous one. Um, but let's kind of talk about our our thoughts on the sound and music of this game overall, qualitatively, I suppose. Um, I definitely noticed there seemed like there was less diversity and there's less um, taking of chances with the music here. You, you may remember we talked about that uh, with the original stadium. We talked about the one where they snuck in the Pokemon Center Recovery Chime in the middle of a song there. And there's not really that much of that splicing and uh, risk-taking in in this one. And there are a few reasons for that. But Anne, did you notice the same thing?
1: I would agree with that, yeah. Like, I feel like they maybe disguised that in a way with, um, like, having a very different sound than Pokemon Stadium 1. So maybe you don't notice that maybe it's not so instrumentally diverse, because you definitely notice it is different. But there's a big difference between being different and being diverse. The, those That was horribly uncreative language that I just used there. But I, I think you know what I'm driving at there.
0: Well, personally, and maybe it's just the samples they use being similar to other first party N64 games. I didn't think the The music was that different. There are some definite differences like the reverb like we talked about. Um, But I I think maybe one of the reasons it's less diverse, uh, one of the very likely explanation for that is that they only had one composer here, whereas the previous Steam game, in part because of that iterative nature of it, had like probably at least three or four or five different people who were in charge of the musical aspects, whereas this one just has a sound director, a composer, Slash Ranger and also a sound programming person on it, so that is probably one reason why uh, there's definitely more of a, of a division between like the mini games, which have sort of the the fun uh, jazzy stuff, and then the actual battles, which are much more. Occasionally, they would sneak in uh, a pipe organ or something like that, but usually they were very very strings slash brass focused. Does that sound about right, Anne?
1: Yeah, and with like the one composer, like you're only go there's only so much you can deviate off of one path whereas with multiple people sticking their ideas into the pot, you have many bases from which to branch off of. Mm.
0: Yeah, so I, that probably contribute to it. I don't think the soundtrack on this game is bad. Uh, oh but, no no. And, and to be honest, I there's think there's a lot
1: that I like about it.
0: I think there was more music in this game than there was in the in the previous stadium. So the the person on here uh, had to work extra hard on that. So I'm not saying he did a bad job. Just saying that, you know, the maybe the opportunity wasn't there or or whatever. But I definitely find the the first Pokémon Stadium. I find the music there more interesting. I think it it pulls from a wider range of stuff probably. From uh, red and blue, and so on. Then this pulls from gold and silver. It has mostly the battle themes, so that maybe contributes to my enjoyment of the the first one, which has uh, more of the root themes and stuff like that. And and like I said, we said more uh, risk taking and doing fun things with those themes than this one does.
1: That kind of feels like a lot of criticism that gold and silver, the anime seemed to take on towards the end of its run, where, like, like the very beginning and the very end seemed to have a lot of, like, interesting things and risk-taking and and just, I don't know, interest behind them, but, like, there was a giant dearth in the middle where it felt old and stale and recycled and, like, not much was happening and not much vision and... Like, I don't know, that people felt the original was better or, like, the original had more interest. Like, I don't don't know. I feel like whether it's the anime, whether it's a video game, etc., like, Pokemon Gold and Silver seems to have, like, that recurrent comment come up a lot about it, and I I just find that very interesting, and I'm wondering what the common thread is, and I'm trying... I don't know. I find that very interesting. I want to dive deeper on that somehow.
0: Well, maybe that's something we'll bring up when we get to the third-gen games, and especially Pokemon Colosseum, which goes in a a fairly different direction Mm. than than this game or its predecessor went musically, although it is still (laughs) not completely dissimilar either. But before we move on, I do have some feedback that I want to share and uh, give Anne a chance to respond to. So first off, I have some comments that came from my recent interview with Peter Moshe. He, of course, did the engineering work for They Don't Understand, uh, the uh, Dream Street song from the second Pokemon movie that also has a non-Pokemon version. So that made us... That made our discussion uh, a little bit interesting to find out how all that worked uh, together. Richard Wright uh, said, awesome interview as always, um, which, you know, uh, I asked for a little bit of follow-up. And he says, the the whole aspect of knowing how he worked with the band and others before them was amazing. Uh, the history of his work is, is what he says there. And, and basically a big part of our interview was explaining some of the other folks he had worked with, uh, notably Hall and Oates, which... Is always a little bit fun when I get to see those little, you know, six degrees of separation between pokey and music and and all sorts of of folks out there. But Anne, first off, I wanted to know: Do you have any comments about that particular interview in and of itself?
1: It's it's always interesting to see behind the scenes, but like that, it is a process that um, is not just someone working in a vacuum. That this is. Like a human being like you and me who has to talk to other human beings and like to make a song is predicated upon what he did with another person completely unrelated, which like has to do with something completely unrelated to somebody else, which, you know, is built upon something completely unrelated to, you know, somebody he met two years ago so like the the interactions like say you're having with me or that you met somebody at school you know ten years ago like those connections we have to people are important which is all you know a very Pokemon sentiment like that's very touching to me so I think that was the biggest takeaway from the interview for me is like those things matter into the future and allow us to create things.
0: Yeah, his whole career is really just about getting connections because he started, you know, working in a record store and eventually started uh, engineering live shows. And eventually that led him into studio work and so on and so forth. Um, There's some stuff I had to cut out that was about how he sort of adapted the technical change very well. Uh, Notably in the interview, we talk about his live streaming, which he started about a decade ago and has proven to be very useful right about now. But it shows how one thing builds to another and how you meet new people along the way. It, it is kind of, you know, especially when you're working with live bands and on the road and stuff, it is kind of a Pokemon-ish journey uh, <laughs> to that. And and that's another sort of story you can sort of derive from there. But a good interview, if you haven't already heard it, it's on the podcast feed. It's also on this channel, of course. So definitely check that out. All right. So i got one more comment here. So, this is our uh, Why It Works series. This is where I, I use these as sort of like uh, splitters in the podcast feed and, and as opposed to commercial breaks, since we don't really have commercials usually other than for like the PokéCasters network that I'm part of. We do these Why It Works thing. This is the Why It Kind of Works. Don't Say You Love Me. Uh, of course, this is the M2M song that was the commercial tie in for the first Pokemon movie. Um, so this is from uh, Soren Cast Z, and, and I get the feeling I looked at some of his stuff. It looks like his first language is probably either Spanish or Portuguese. So I'll, I'll read this off and just, just bear that in mind. It doesn't have much to do with the movie for sure, but I guess the pop and dancey feel of the music encapsulates that moment and genre of music that could be and uh, was liked by many people. So, and he says, I agree. So uh, sort of the gist of this particular Why It Works segment is that, yes, it does not have a ton to do with the movie plot-wise or anything like that. Um, but it is more of a bridge, you know. I don't think he meant to say it was particularly dated as a song, uh, but it is definitely typical of that era, even though it is relatively well-written. And any thoughts on, on what I've said so far about that? or
1: yeah, yeah, I think what he's going for is like, it... It was a song that got the moment, and you know, Pokemon, especially the first movie, was a film that was the moment of that of that year of that pretty much of the decade. Like Pokemon came at the end of the nineties and is the nineties for us. So, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of kind of what, why it works basically.
0: But as far as the stature of the song, you know, at this point, I. Not that it's a bad song or anything, but it was not at the top of my list of songs that should have been in *Mute*. *Who Strikes Back Evolution, which was another reason I guess I, I brought this up, was to sort of uh, harken back to that discussion that we had earlier this year. and I don't know if you had any thoughts in, in that particular area.
1: Um, I think if you had asked me a f- maybe five years ago, I don't know if I would have wanted it. I also probably wouldn't have believed that there would have been a Mewtwo Evolutions movie. Um, I think I've come around on it since doing this series and also since hearing their kind of acoustic version. I think I would have actually, I think I actually, if I had a choice in the matter, I would have liked to put in that acoustic version of Don't Say You Love Me into Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolutions. I would have championed for that. Or at least, uh, at least as some kind of um, alternate mix of Don't Say You Love Me. I think that would have been a nice thing to try.
0: That's interesting that you say that. Uh, where would you have put it? Would it have been in the end credits like before? Would you use it as like a score element or or, or what there?
1: Maybe like not the first song in the end credits. Maybe like the second. I, I think there's definitely a better song for the end credits. Um, and I would like to see what we could come up with. Um, but I would like to see it, um, somewhere at the end of the movie, or at least in the soundtrack.
0: Are you saying it, it might've worked out better than, than keep evolving or the Pokemon theme they put at the very end of the credits.
1: Oh, oh it's so hard to lose. Keep evolving. Um, oh, oh, can we just have a longer credit sequence where it plays after keep evolving? Oh dear. Th- these are hard choices. Um uh we'll just put it we'll, uh, we'll just put it on the soundtrack then uh,
0: well i mean i
1: my heart stephen my heart i can't choose these things well, well judging by this so- <laughs> this is why i'm not an executive
0: <laughs> well judging by the social media comments the uh, the things people missed most most were either the score or Brother, My Brother, and then We're a Miracle, and then some of the other stuff in there, as far as that remake goes. Um, I am always... <laughs> like I said, the, one of the reasons I just belabor this is I'm always a little worried that they're, they're going to do a remake of Pokemon 2000 and take the same musical approach. And I do not want to be the person running the Pokemon company's social media accounts uh, if that happens that weekend.
1: <laughs> oh, that, is, that is not a job for the faint of heart, no.
0: <laughs> on a good day, but that would be... <laughs> All right. Well, that takes care of our feedback section. Our next episode, as we've said, uh, there's not much in the way of Gen 2 side games unless you're going to count the Pokémon Mini. So this is really our last one there. Um, But our next episode is going to be another special episode. I decided what I wanted to do was to cover the music of the first two Smash Brothers games. So soundtracks are relatively small, certainly compared to Brawl and Onwards. But it's going to be the music of Super Smash Brothers for the N64 and Super Smash Brothers Melee for the GameCube. Uh, we're going to talk about the music of both of those. Uh, the way we've kind of split it up uh, that Anne and I are considering for picking up songs, I think what we're going to do is we're each going to pick one of the Pokemon songs. Since there's, between the two ones, there's only like three or four different songs that are from Pokemon in there. And then... Uh, one non-Pokemon song from those first two games, and then one ineligible Pokemon song. And what we mean by that is that, um, generally speaking, anything used in the Smash Brothers has to be based on uh, video game source material. I don't know if that's a hard rule, but I can't think of an exception uh, to that, where there's something that originated outside uh, of an actual game that was used in there which would certainly be a problem for certain game franchises. Like, if we ever want to use Carmen Sandiego in there, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to pick out some Pokemon songs that uh, are from probably the anime, most likely. Uh, we, we've disallowed the opening themes of the English and Japanese versions, and that's going to sort of be our third slot on there. So, but next discussion is the music of Smash Brothers and Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, but until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Oh, thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate it if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at PokePress on Twitter. Okay, well, as far as the game itself, let's talk about that. Now, of course, mechanically, it is very similar to the previous Stadium games, other than having, you know, the new 100 Pokémon in it, and all that stuff, Um, and also the new types, the new moves, and, of course, various tweaks because they made some changes to the battle mechanics overall, but... For the most part, it is very mechanically similar. I mean, maybe that was one thing, another thing that worked against it. Um, but they did up the presentation a little bit, at least in certain ways. They're definitely going for sort of a a broadcast-style presentation because you've got all these little things, like before the battle starts, you have this sort of news-slash-sports fanfare that shows the, the matchup of the teams and the players and stuff like that. And then when Pokemon are switching out. You'll notice in the screens there they show a little bit of static in there, as if it's a, a an analog TV broadcast or something, uh, where things are cutting out briefly or something like that. While while things happen, um, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Obviously, we've we've had the announcer as well for a while. And what, what did you kind of think about the overall presentation of the the battles in that regard?
1: That's an interesting feature and um, something. They could definitely go a lot further with, especially, um, maybe in a future game, um, in this, you know, more tech savvy world that we live in. But yeah, like that, that is definitely something that, that made this game stand out in a way I wasn't expecting it to. For something that could have been very similar, um, other than just some new Pokemon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of expected them to to tweak the presentation a little bit there. But as far as, you know, I don't think they'll be making another stadium game since it is kind of redundant at this point with the that. But if they could incorporate that into sort of like the the player versus player mode of, you know, whatever comes after Sword and Shield. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do in the future. I would kind of like to have uh, more of that slick presentation style in in the modern games for, like I said, for the player versus player mode. Uh, it was really fun having the big crowds in Sword and Shield, uh, which they sort of have in, in, in here with some of the stadiums.
1: It would be cool to maybe incorporate the crowds and the the kind of static-y video kind of, well, maybe not the static, but like the video element into like, say, the Wi-Fi um, com- battling um, players from across the world kind of thing. That could be something to consider.
0: Yeah, and they've kind of done some of that with the live streams, of course, a couple of weeks ago. They, yeah. Because there was no Worlds this year, they had to do a sort of alternative online competition, yeah. which was kind of neat. I didn't get to see too much of that, unfortunately. I was busy with other things, but they are sort of working that into their live streams. It would be nice if the games themselves could, could contain more of those elements. Other things mechanically I want to talk about, let's talk about the difficulty of this game. It has a reputation of being even more difficult than the... Uh, at least the first stadium game released in the West. Maybe it's still not as difficult as the uh, the 50 Pokemon one that was only released in in Japan. But um, uh, this one can be pretty difficult when it wants to be. And there's there's some accusations that it sort of tweaks the percentages in its favor. And that sometimes like in, in a two-player mode, sometimes player two has certain advantages because of how they programmed it. it you'd have to really uh, – people accuse video games of cheating all the time. In any symmetric game, that's a common accusation. So, like uh, you know, player versus player modes where the computer does that. So, fighting games, sports games, racing games, stuff like that. Um, and and this game is also accused of uh, tweaking some of the percentages beyond what they're supposed to be officially, um, among other things. Um, but this game has a reputation of being extremely hard and much harder to beat with rental Pokemon than the the prior game. And I, I don't know if you have any any thoughts in that area, but um, since you seem to be more familiar with the mini games and a little bit of the battling, what's your thoughts?
1: Um, I don't remember it being as, like frustratingly hard. I, as I mentioned, I never owned it, so I don't remember playing it enough to really have an informed opinion about it. Um, but like I said, I don't remember like, ever becoming, like, so, oh my gosh, this is so hard, I quit. Um, but I, like Pokemon Stadium 1, I was more there for the mini-games, let's be real, um, so that might be an answer in and of itself. If I cared more about the mini-games, that's probably where more of the enjoyment was, period.
0: Well, I may as well throw in a little anecdote. If you saw my live stream a week or two ago, you would have seen me uh, hit I guess what is some of the difficulty of this game? Some of it is, I guess, legitimate. Some of it I'm not so sure about. Um, (laughs) So uh, when I was playing through the Little Cup, which is the level five competition, you go through eight trainers and, uh, you know, you have these teams of a very low level Pokemon. And to be honest, this is in round one. There's a round two like there was in the previous team where everything is more difficult but this was in round one. I went through the first seven. Didn't really have too much trouble. I had built up, uh, in, in some of the modes, if you don't lose any of your Pokémon, if none of them get knocked out, you get a continue. So on a later battle, if you lose, you can, you can uh, try again. And on the first seven, I never lost any of them, uh, as far as the battles go. And I managed to get enough perfects, where I didn't lose any of my Pokémon, to get five or six continues. And then I get t- to the eighth and final battle, and I, if you saw the stream, um, you know what happened. It was like hitting a brick wall where it just suddenly jumped straight up. I just could not beat the guy. And I swear there's some stuff that seems at least a little bit suspicious. First off, this is the first time you hit someone who has a held item in this mode. And he has a gold berry on his Abra, which at that level heals pretty much the whole thing there once you get below half, which is real fun. Um, And I didn't have too many great Pokemon to use against uh, that. He also had a Chansey, which I managed to get down at one point, like down to like one HP. It just barely survived. And apparently that's a thing that maybe happens sometimes when it shouldn't. Because I got like a critical hit on a dynamic punch and stuff like that. Um, So that maybe was a little suspicious. But basically, the closest I got, I think I knocked out maybe two of his Pokemon once in the six or seven attempts I gave that. And, um, yeah, so uh, there's kind of my um, personal story of difficulty there. Uh, Like I said, you can't really tell if the game, unless it cheats in a really obvious way. Like I said, uh, people often accuse the Pokémon games of not playing by their own rules. So this is not a new thing or exclusive to this game. But uh, you have to actually look at like the 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 code to determine if it's giving itself an advantage. And I don't suppose you have any reaction to that story I just told there, but it definitely happened. I have I'm... the video proof.
1: <laughs> definitely sounds a little suspicious. I mean, if it doesn't play by its own rules, maybe it's playing by anime rules. I don't know. <laughs>
0: It, that's the kind of the question there. We should probably talk about some of the other technical details. This is, a being a late N64 game, it's not entirely surprising, but this makes use of the N64 expansion pack. Uh, it is optional, unlike some other games, like uh, Majora's Mask is one of the ones that requires it. Uh, Donkey Kong 64 requires it so that you could get around a bug in the game It otherwise is not needed. <laughs> uh, but basically, this is an extra 4 megabytes of RAM that goes in the N64 and is used for a variety of purposes depending on the game. Some games use it for uh, increased color depth. Some places use it to try and load uh, more detailed textures into the game. And uh, the way it's used here is that more of the game is in uh, a resolution called 480i as opposed to 240p, which is a whole technical thing I could get into. But basically, some of the game has more pixels to work with when you have the expansion pack installed um that causes kind of problem for streaming when it switches resolution and the the previous Pokémon stream had the high resolution mode in some of its menus and when you're selecting Pokémon and stuff like that but this one if you have the expansion pack uses it more not for the the real battles though that that is still low res and I don't know what you thought of sort of the graphical fidelity of this game but I figured this would be a good place to ask about it
1: um I mean, at the time, I thought it was really cool. Looking back, being an N64 game, it kind of like, well, you know, whatever. I am also a filthy casual when it comes to gaming, so I am both impressed and not particularly swayed one way or the other. I'm the wrong person to ask this question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Well, a lot of folks say
0: that going back to the, the N64 PlayStation 1 Saturn generation is a lot like going back to like the, the pre-NES, uh, generation of 2D games and like the Atari and stuff like that. In that it's so primitive, it works, but kind of just barely and, and graphically it's kind of super abstract and hard, hard to make use of. So I've heard that comparison there. Mm. But uh, you said for the original Stadium, at least you were there mostly for the mini games. I will give the mini games in this one, even though I didn't have a chance uh, to play too many of them, credit. I think they're a little more detailed and a little more interesting than, on average, the ones from the previous Stadium game. Because there's in the in Stadium One, there's nine games, and at least half of them are pretty basic button mashing games that don't have a lot there's there's better ones like Clefairy says and sushi go round and the the ring toss requires a little bit of dexterity on there. Uh but most of the rest of them uh are are very much, you know, push button uh along a certain thing to 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 win, you know, along whatever rules the game has. This one I think has more more uh in addition to there being twelve games instead of nine, which is uh, pretty Interesting improvement has the games have more to them, I would definitely say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the the Golbat one and the Mind Ball. Um I'm really terrible at the the quiz one, the streaming stampede, but I love it. Uh, I'm also really terrible at the Scyther one, but I'm convinced mm. that I can get it one day.
0: And there's also like a trivia competition and I guess DJ Mary shows up in the menus there, (laughs) which is kind of a, a, kind of a nice touch to bring that in from the the main series games. And I definitely appreciate that being in there. So, I mean, there's definitely stuff in this game that is done better than the original stadium from a technical perspective. It generally is. Um, I just think maybe it doesn't offer enough uh, variety. Like, uh, you know, there's the story modes in the two GameCube games, Colosseum and Gale of Darkness, which we'll talk about at some point. And then even Battle Revolution has a wider variety of modes that sort of shuffles you in between and whatnot and gives you, I think, a little more to work with there. Um, I guess one of the nice things here is there's a, uh, whatever it's called, uh, the Challenge Cup, I think it is, or something like that. I think Well, Challenge Cup is from the TCG game, but... Um, it has a mode where you're just randomly assigned some Pokemon and you have to go against other folks who do that. So that that's kind of a, a fun little, you never know what quite what you're going to get mode as, as well. <laughs> but uh, I know you didn't play this, but uh, speaking of somewhat obscure sequels from this era in the Pokemon franchise, you know, I also played a fair bit of the Game Boy 2 that was Japan only and released in early 2001. Um, I've played a translation of that. And I have to say that one, um, I think I got a little bit more out of than than this one, but neither one of them is a bad game, and whether they're worth it for you to play is, is sort of what you have to say there. Any other sort of wrap up thoughts on this game quality wise?
1: Um, no, just that it's it's kind of sad that this kind of, this game almost seems to be the a forgotten child. it is certainly not the only game that gets lost in a shuffle. And, like, there's a lot of factors that contribute to it, like, both its placement in the, you know, release date and the lexicon of video game history, but also, like, its timing, you know, we didn't have cell phones and smartphones back then, and people didn't have, everybody didn't have a computer in their home, and when I think of, like, friends trying to... to each other like was this Coliseum or Stadium 2 and you know what is this game they can't just be like oh let's just look it up like it's very easy I think for this game to get mixed up with another one or just forgotten entirely and then never played at all um, so I, I think it's just a little bit sad that this game maybe didn't always get the limelight it could have and maybe never sold as many copies, and maybe didn't get as much vintage play as it could have because nobody remembered that it existed. I mean, as much as it's kind of a shame that it's a little bit more expensive than some other games uh, that are of other Nintendo 64 games, I'm glad that when people do remember it, they seem to remember it fondly and esteem it at high value. That's that's kind of nice. There's, it's got that, that going for it, at least.
0: Yeah, a couple of interesting things about that is that, well, you know, gold and silver, there's always that that impression that in the fandom, it's this super beloved generation of the, the longtime fans of the thing that, that did so many things so right. And, you know, maybe that's true of the main games to a certain extent, but th- this one not, maybe not, you know, didn't do enough better to really differentiate itself, to set itself apart. And I think that is something that we're going to have to keep in mind when we get to Gale of Darkness, the second of the two GameCube battling games, to talk about that one. So I guess those are some interesting things to keep in mind. Oh, and did you finally get a Switch then?
1: I did not, but my roommate uh, has a Wii U um, and introduced me to Breath of the Wild, and I I am now on that bandwagon, and my my gosh, that is some music.
0: (laughs) Well, I played it for a while back when it came out. Uh, I don't remember really a ton about the music, but I didn't get all that far in the game before other things started to sort of take up my time (laughs) on that system. I don't remember buying the game or anything like that. I gained an appreciation for what was going on there, but I didn't get super deep in it.
1: Um, I I didn't either. I just again a lot of music, and I learned how to cook. So that's that's where I am in life. So.
0: There's always there was that speculation earlier this year: is are they going to do Let's Go Jodo? Are they going to do Diamond and Pearl remakes? Stuff like that. Turns out we got neither, at least thus far.